Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And today, we are going to talk about perverts at the Department of Energy. Let me introduce you to Sam Brinton. Sam is the new deputy for spent fuel and waste disposition, nuclear waste, at the, <laughs> at the Department of Energy. He's the latest Biden administration hire. Um, and in his spare time, he is also the head of advocacy and current events for the gay organization, The Trevor Project. Let's listen to Sam. I use they and them as my pronouns. And when someone uses they and them as my pronouns, I feel like that person is listening to me. That person cares about me and that person wants to have a conversation with me. My God. Pronouns are a fascinating part of modern culture. I don't think many people think about them very often until someone like myself or others say their pronouns. So when I introduce myself, I generally say, hi, my name's Sam Britton. I use they and them as my pronouns, and I serve as head of advocacy and government affairs for the Trevor Project. I give this before I even give my job because it's the important way that you're going to describe me. Not what I do, but who I am. And that I respect for my gender is really, really important. I think our culture has built itself around an idea that the faster I can learn something about you, the faster I can um, interact with you. We are a system of speed. And pronouns sometimes slow that down, right? Like the assumption uh, makes things easier. We are every single time we meet someone immediately putting some type of um, judgment on them really quickly so we know how to interact with them. But that judgment could be wrong. And so I think the hard part is to change perspective. Now, this isn't asking you to run a marathon. This is you saying that you <laughs> want to be respected in a specific way and I can do that for you by using a pronoun. Things that companies Brinton suggests people introduce themselves with their pronouns. On the first day of classes, and for maybe the first week, having a sticker where you tell people, Hi, my name is Sam, my pronouns are they and them. It's also really important to recognize that pronouns change sometimes. Many of us uh, will not always have the same pronouns uh, because <laughs> our gender is changing or our gender realization has changed. I think that's really, really important for us to say that the flexibility of your personality should be something Disorder. that we can respect, and the flexibility of your gender identity is something that we can respect. Pronouns are confusing. I'm not going to say that they're not. But if I can have the President of the United States use my gender-neutral pronouns, and I can respectfully use theirs, then I think we're going to be in a world where everyone can be respected and everyone has the responsibility to be respectful. Okay, so for those of you who couldn't see this guy, let me describe him for you. He is, I don't know, somewhere probably just shy of 30. Um, he is wearing a costume that you would imagine Andorra on Bewitched wearing if she were having a hot night in with her husband. It's sort of a, it's like if an old lady shopped at Forever 21. It's this sort of um, black lace, moo moo negligee. <laughs> uh, and there are several other pictures of him with his hot pink uh, high heels on and and all sorts of other things. Did you hear what he said? 
this this is a i mean obviously i'm making fun because this is ridiculous but this is a good illustration of what we've talked about when we mention this modern idea of bring your whole self to work he he said about pronouns that this is not what i do it's who i am he he thinks as many of this generation do that we have an obligation in public life and work life to embrace the whole person we have no such obligation I don't want to know who your whole person is in most interactions I have with you, and you don't want to know that about me either, if I'm standing in your line at the grocery store or if you're standing at the counter at my restaurant. We just want to talk to each other like two human beings. If I can have the President of the United States use my pronouns, that's what it's about, right? I, some schmo, can have the president of the United States use my pronouns. This is about control. This is about controlling other people. It's dressed up in a sing-song, well, he's kind of using the voice, isn't he? When he talks about his non-binary pronouns. It's dressed up in this happy, dipshitty sing-song tone of voice, but this is narcissistic control. And you know what else it is? It's, and I'm sorry, I, I'm just, you know, I, I fight with myself when I want to say this, but I'm just going to get it out. He's quite unattractive. He's unfortunate looking. And it's not the way he's dressed, it's the way he looks. And I'm not saying that to be cruel. This is Revenge of the Uglies. I've mentioned it before. These are people who are not conventionally attractive or who are odd looking or who don't fit in, don't want to make an effort, glorying in the fact that they can force the world to pretend that we see them as beautiful and interesting. That motivates a lot of this. People are terrified to say what they actually see in front of them, which is somebody who's ridiculous and that you can't take seriously. Let's take a... Again, this is the presidential administration hiring people for jobs... Dealing with nuclear waste, fine. But they didn't hire him because he's the most qualified. They hired him because they knew he'd be doing stuff like this. They want to signal woke to you. This is more important to them than the competence of these people. And don't tell me, do not tell me that, oh, I'm sure he's, he's just, he's competent. You have no reason to believe that he can't do his job. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Because this is narcissistic behavior. It's behavior that looks consistent with borderline personality disorder. It is entirely inappropriate. It's vulgar. You want to see how vulgar? Let's take a look at Sam from a few years ago, pictured in Metro Weekly. There you go on your screen. That's Sam with his pup boy. So for those of you listening, he's standing there in jeans without his shirt on, and he's got a guy who's on a covered table in leather fetish gear with a hood all the way over his face and dog ears on it, on his hands and knees, being a pup. Here's what Metro Weekly had to say about this. Quote, this is a quote from Sam Brinton himself, your new uh, nuclear waste disposer. One of the hardest things about being a handler is that I've, uh, I've honestly had people ask, wait, you have sex with animals? And I'm going to break into the quote here. So far as I know, Sam doesn't have sex with actual animals. I believe that he is talking about the pups, the humans who are playing doggy boy with him. So back to his quote. They believe it's abusive, that it's taking advantage of someone who may not be acting up to a level of human responsibility. The other misperceptions is that I have some really messed up background, like... Did I have some horrible childhood trauma that made me like to have sex with animals? End quote. Misperception? <laughs> no. I'll bet you my last dollar that I could write a story about what kind of childhood Sam had, and I'd be at least 85% right. Yeah. Yep. No, I don't think you came from a normal childhood. I think you were probably abused. I'm sorry about that. 
Why do I think that? Because it's written all over his face. It's in everything he says. It's written on his clothing. It's written on his inability to maintain sexual, personal, and professional boundaries. These are behaviors that are highly typical and characteristic of people who have experienced child abuse and or childhood sexual abuse. And although I was never a pup boy, I'm not setting myself above him here. I had big trouble with boundaries and sexuality when I was a younger man, too. I didn't go quite this far, but I lived in this neighborhood. And I know who these people are because I was one of them. You know what? I'm going to move on from this. The next one, <laughs> let's pivot to COVID. Lena Wen, who's been on CNN stumping for the CDC and lockdowns and mandates. Well, she's singing a different tune this week. Take a listen to this. Do you agree with the move? I do. There was a and is a time and place for pandemic restrictions. But when they were put in, it was always with the understanding that they would be removed as soon as we can. And in this case, circumstances have changed. Case counts are declining. Also, the science has changed. We know that vaccines protect very well against Omicron, which is the dominant variant. Everyone five and older have widespread access to vaccines. And we also know about one way masking, the idea that even if other people are around, you are not wearing masks. If you wear a high quality mask, that also protects you, the wearer, too. And so in this case, I'm not saying I don't think anyone really is saying that no one should ever wear masks, but rather that the responsibility should shift from a government mandate imposed from the state or the local district of the school. Rather, it should shift to an individual responsibility by the family who can still decide that, that their child can wear a mask if needed. Um, you know, take New Jersey, the case in New Jersey, for instance, their new case average is just over 4,000. Um, is that an acceptable number to do this or, or, or are they projecting out to March 7th at this point? I don't think we should be looking at case counts at all at this point, especially when we're dealing with a milder variant and when so many people were exposed to Omicron and therefore have ha have at least some level of protection, either through vaccination or immunity. The key number that we should be looking at is hospitalizations. If our ICUs and hospitals in that particular region are not overwhelmed, if they're not over capacity, we can set a number, for example, 75% or 80% full, then we should be able to relax all restrictions and I actually believe that we should be starting to, with the first restriction removed, should actually be the restriction on children. Because while for adults, you could say, well, what's the harm of adults masking when they go into a grocery store? There actually is a harm that we should be discussing of children continuing to mask. That doesn't mean that masking doesn't have its place for children when there are very high rates of hospitalization. If we get a new variant in the future that children are particularly susceptible to, we may want to bring masks back. But we should also be in intellectually honest and say that masking has had a cost, especially for the youngest learners, in, uh, people with English as a second language, children with learning disabilities, there has been a cost to them. So the risk benefit calculation has really changed. This is unbelievable. This bitch a couple of months ago, I featured her on this show, said unvaccinated people should not be allowed to participate in public life. That's what she said. And now she wants to be the reasonable one. Now she wants to say there has been a, a cost to children wearing masks. There has been a harm. Yeah, we've all been saying that. And a lot of us got booted off social media or called um, grandma killers or children killers. These psychopaths are doing it right in front of us. She's literally contradicting what she said two, maybe three months ago. And she can do this and she can get away with it. Because most of us won't remember. We won't call her to account for it. Certainly nobody in the media will. I want to point something else out to you. Did you hear that you that phrase she used, one-way masking? That's a, They're trying to make fetch happen with that one-way masking, one-way masking. You know, we found that if you're wearing a high-quality mask, it actually protects you, too. Look at the smuggled assumption in there. The smuggled assumption is 
We all know and accept that the reason we wear a mask is to protect other people. We are not doing it to help ourselves. We're doing it out of altruism. That's always been why we wear masks. No, no, it hasn't. That's a reversal. That idea has been created to play on particularly liberal people's feelings of guilt, un, excuse me, inappropriate guilt, unnecessary sense of responsibility to play on their sense of guilt because you want to protect other people, don't you? And also to play on their sense of pride and vanity or narcissism, if you will. I'm protecting people. I am so good. I'm not wearing this mask for me. I'm wearing it for you. She's playing people like a fiddle, and most people watching this are happily being played by her. Oh, my goodness. Next up, before we take our first break, comes from the Department of Body Positivity. I was going to say body positivity slash fat studies. I don't know if you're allowed to say fat studies these days. <laughs> Once again, a lot of material from uh, that wonderful account, Libs of TikTok. Take a listen. It really bothers me when fat people get this question, who wants to be oppressed? That's just a Republican talking point. It's null. It's void. Nada. I love going into the doctor for any, any sickness, any ailment, and having it be either attributed to my gender or my weight or both. It's usually weight. We don't want to be denied surgeries. We don't want to be denied medical care. We don't want people harassing us on the street. We don't want people hooking up with us just so it can be an inside joke with their friends. We don't want to be harassed online. We don't want to have no clothing options. It isn't that fat people want to be oppressed. It's that we are and we're not going to shut up about it because we want it to change. We want to stop being oppressed. Just because you don't see it from your privileged point of view doesn't mean it's not happening. <clears throat> no. No, sweetheart, you want all of those things. You absolutely want to be oppressed. You and your kind love this. That is what you want. So that you can get yourself dolled up with 16 pounds of slap on your face and go on TikTok and act like you're oppressed because you get pity points for it, don't you, honey? We don't want to be oppressed. Yes, you do. You wouldn't know what to do if you weren't creating some sense of being oppressed. But you don't have a personality underneath all that. You know, and, and I'm, of two, I'm of two minds on this because you hear a lot of this talk about doctors overlooking legitimate organic illnesses unrelated to weight, unrelated to sex. And some of that does indeed happen. I've, I've known and spoken to enough women over the years that I am confident that women especially have been, uh, have had problems that were not detected because they were treated as if it were merely anxiety or, or something else, uh, when it might even have been a heart attack. I don't know the extent to which it happens, and I have a feeling that it does not happen quite as much as it's talked about. But, but it does happen. And I'm sure that it happens with fat people as well. I've seen cases of, uh, you know, I diagnose you as somebody comes in with, oh, I don't know. Now I can't think of it off the top of my head, but something completely unrelated to how much you weigh. You get diagnosed as fat. So I know these things happen. I remember being diagnosed with smoking. Uh, <laughs> when I was a smoker and, and I would go into the doctor for a problem that was unrelated to anything with my respiratory system, you know, they'd want to talk about smoking rather than, than the other thing. On the other hand, this young woman is quite fat and she's young. She looks like she's maybe, I don't know, 17 to 19. What if the problems you're in the doctor for really are because of your weight? What if the problems that you've gone to the doctor for are, really are because not your gender, sweetie, because you don't have a gender. You have a sex. What if your problems really are related to your sex? What if it's the endocrine system in the female body that's causing you this trouble? This isn't always a dismissal. So we're going to take a break, come back on the other side, and we're going to talk about GoFundMe 
the charitable collection company, and the Canadian government stealing money and misdirecting money away from Canadian truckers. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at Disaffected P, that's Disaffected and the letter P, for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at Disaffected Pod. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Welcome back. What I forgot to tell you before the break, remind you about Twitter didn't like us, so they got rid of our account uh, because we harass and promote violence. So we made a new one. If you want to follow us on Twitter just for show announcements, no fun, no discussion, just content, follow at Disaffected P, Disaffected and the letter P. If you want to have fun, come on and see us on Getter. And on Getter, where we can speak more freely, we are at Disaffected Pod. And also, if you come here and watch our show on Sunday nights or, you know, listen to it throughout the week, be sure that you're subscribed on audio as well. We have started putting out fresh audio-only episodes throughout the week. Um, We're doing three a week right now, which I have to tell you because Kevin has already publicized it, so now we've set the expectation, and Josh has to give you your Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So you better subscribe. (laughs) You're not going to get that here on YouTube, you're not going to get it on Rumble. You're not going to get it on Odyssey. Audio only. So subscribe on your favorite platform, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you like. So the Canadian government stealing and misdirecting money from the truckers' convoy that is protesting the vaccine mandates and restrictions. Over the past couple of weeks, people donated more than $10 million to an effort to get money to the truckers to pay for their diesel, their food, uh, maybe their lost wages. Because the whole Western world is looking at these truckers in Canada right now because they're the only ones who've really stood up effectively so far. Government doesn't like that. And private corporations don't like it either. There's really very, very little difference between private companies today and the government. They, They share the same goals. They walk in lockstep. It's almost as if you'd think that we'd have a word for that but I can't possibly think of what it is. Maybe you can. So people were using the popular donation platform, GoFundMe. Now GoFundMe is woke, woke, woke. And they decided they didn't like that people donated $10 million to the truckers because truckers bad, not good, bad. So what did they do? They announced, GoFundMe announced. They didn't ask, they announced that they were going to redirect donors' money to what they called legitimate charities. Isn't that amazing? So I'm going to go on to GoFundMe, put my card in and give 100 bucks to a protest, and GoFundMe is simply going to tell me that they're going to pick a new charity for me? Unbelievable chutzpah. Unbelievable. Just a couple of years ago, no company would have dared to say anything like that. That's the level of confidence they have. And they're right to have it. They didn't get away with this, but they almost did. People were outraged, thank God. So GoFundMe decided to start offering a chance for a refund, like they were doing you a favor. You fucking bastards. (laughs) I was going to say something. You know what? No, I'm not going to say sorry for saying fucking bastards. This is not one of those shows that has a swear jar. It ain't ever going to have a swear jar. And I'm not ever going to participate in that joke. If you don't like the swearing, supply your own beeps. So people turned to a different donation platform, a Christian service called Give, Send, Go. And according to an article on globalnews.ca, The Ontario provincial government got the Superior Court of Justice to freeze the funds that were given to Give, Send, Go, legally freeze the funds, and make it illegal for anyone to distribute them to the intended target. I don't know Canadian law, but 
I cannot believe that this is legitimate. This is this. I cannot believe this is anything but a flagrant abuse of power. They're justifying it apparently by calling this money offense related as if it were made by enacting criminal offenses or it was induced to be donated by the promise of some kind of criminal offense. This is very similar to a practice that goes on in the U.S. that you may not have heard about. It's called civil forfeiture, and it works this way. Cops, law enforcement agencies that decide somebody is running drugs or laundering money or doing something illegal go and do a crackdown or a raid or a sting, and they just keep the cash and keep the cars and keep the houses that they raid because they say they're drug-related, they're offense-related. They were used or they were gained during the commission of a crime. Oh, oh, you thought this went to court? You thought they had to go to court before they could keep it? They don't. Yeah, that's right. They just keep it. No court oversight. They don't have to prove their case. They don't have to presume you innocent. They just keep it. That's tyranny. And when Ontario and what the Superior Court of Justice is doing is tyranny. Unbel what offenses? Brendan O'Neill is the editor at a magazine called Spiked. And it, uh, if you want to visit it, it's spiked-online.com. Here's what he had to say this week. <clears throat> Quote, GoFundMe says the $10 million Canadian dollars raised via its website on a page titled Freedom Convoy 2022 will not be given to truckers after all. It cited police reports about, quote, violence in the convoy. What violence? Where? Thousands and thousands of people have joined the truckers' protest, and yet there have only been three arrests. One person was arrested for being in possession of a weapon, one for causing, quote, mischief, and one for making a threatening comment on social media. As far as mass protests go, this is a staggeringly low level of allegedly criminal behavior. Yeah. How does that compare to the Black Lives Matter protests with 25 people dead? How many buildings burned and looted? Do you see any of that happening in the truckers' convoy? If you think you do, you don't. I know that the media is going hysterical over this and saying, they're showing up with Confederate flags. They're showing up with Nazi flags. Yeah, maybe one or two people did that. But I'm not seeing anything. And I've watched video after video, not from the mainstream media, from people who are actually there and who aren't editing it to hide things. <laughs> when the Ontario Superior, excuse me, the Superior Court of Justice uh, put down their injunction freezing this money, Give, Send, Go put this on their website and social media. They said, know this. Canada has absolutely zero jurisdiction over how we manage our funds here at Give, Send, Go. All funds for every campaign on Give, Send, Go flow directly to the recipients of those campaigns, not least of which is the Freedom Convoy campaign. Good for you. Let's go back to Brendan O'Neill of Spiked. Because this, this brings up... This, this brings up that connection between private companies and government. Quote, GoFundMe's anti-working class meddling in the distribution of funds is of a piece with the growing arrogance of Silicon Valley. These unaccountable millionaires and billionaires who control key sections of the World Wide Web have made patently clear their willingness to interfere in democratic life. We've had Twitter and Facebook censoring the then-sitting president of the United States, Donald Trump. Spotify is currently under pressure to silence or at least reprimand anti-woke voices like Joe Rogan. More. Numerous social media outlets strictly control what we can say about sex, gender, race, immigration, and other issues, and will silence anyone who deviates from the, quote, correct line. These companies exercise an enormous amount of control over the 21st century public square, and they're unilaterally and happily punishing and expelling anyone who deviates from the moral diktats of the new ruling class. Yes, Brendan O'Neill is right. That is what they are doing.
The government of the United States has absolute contempt for the working class. The modern left has contempt, hatred, and disgust for actual working people. All these people who claim that they're for the little guy, they want universal health care, except they want to control who gets it, don't they? And Sarah Palin was crazy to talk about death panels. Well, these fuckers are talking about whether or not people should be allowed to be in a hospital if they choose not to get vaccinated. Look at who these people are. You know, I read years ago that book from Thomas Frank, What's the Matter with Kansas? I don't remember the book that much. I'd have to uh, revisit it. But that was in a period of my life when I was still trying to figure out why poor and working class people were voting for Republicans. Now I understand. Now I understand. They figured out long before I did that the claims of the Democratic left, the claim that they cared about the little people was just a lie. Not that the Republicans are great either. They're not. But I can't blame, I can't blame working class people for voting for the least bad of two options. So Brendan brought up um, Spotify, and you'll recall that uh, rock icon Neil Young, (laughs) sorry, I'm going to go for it cheap, who is so not young at this point. (laughs) We're talking about somebody at the peak of his relevance in about 1977. Neil Young is still going after the streaming service Spotify because it still hasn't kicked Joe Rogan, the podcaster, off there. And that's really bad because Joe talks to people who are on the alt-right and he he spreads misinformation about vaccines. So (laughs) the CEO of Spotify uh, has come out and said they're not kicking Joe Rogan off. And this has just pissed off people like Neil Young more, probably Joni Mitchell, too. That that really hurt. Joni Mitchell. I've been a Joni Mitchell fan my entire life. My mother introduced me to Joni Mitchell because it's what played on the record player when I was a kid. Um, she's also not the person she appeared to be as, the, you know, sort of folk songstress of the 70s. She's completely rich, mainstream, left, authoritarian. But Neil Young is pissed because he's he hasn't gotten his way yet. So he said he put this on his website this week. Quote, To the workers at Spotify, I say CEO Daniel Eck is your big problem, not Joe Rogan. Eck pulls the strings. Get out of that place before it eats up your soul. The only goals stated by Eck are about numbers, not art, not creativity. You must be able to find a better place than Spotify to be the home of your art, he then said. Oh, for God's sake, Neil, stop it. It's all about numbers, not about art or creativity. Yeah, you know why? Because it's a fucking business. It's a business. It's not an art gallery that's endowed. Its mission is not art. Its mission is to make money. And the way Spotify makes money is by distributing spoken visual, or excuse me, spoken content, podcasts, talk shows, music. There's nothing wrong with making money. They're not morally obliged to care about art and creativity the way you, Neil Young, say they are. And you know what? You aren't all about art and creativity either. How rich are you, Neil? You've sold your catalog for what? What Did he get 50 or $100 million for selling uh, uh, rights in his catalog? You are richer than dirt. All of you out there, Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, everybody else like that, you are the ri- You're the man. You are the man. If it were all about art, why don't you give all the money away? Huh? Overgrown babies. This guy's in his 70s, and he's talking like a 16-year-old kid who says, I'm a communist because I should have everything for free. You guys suck. Seriously? You've had your entire life, and this is all you've learned? (laughs) Ah! (laughs) want to get more annoyed on a different topic sure you do come with me let's talk about a new charter school that's opening up in portland oregon now 
I'm not making a comment on charter schools writ large. I think they might be part of the solution to how many children are trapped in absolutely inadequate, uh, gallingly inadequate public schools in this country. So I'm not making an anti-charter school argument here. I'm talking about this specific effort. And before, before we get into it, what this is about for me is... I've been trying to look for another phrase because I this is a famous phrase and it I feel kind of funny repeating it, but I don't know of a better one. This is an example of the bigotry of low expectations, the, the constant degradation of standards, degradation of goals for kids and students to strive for until not only are they not expected to do difficult things, they're not expected anymore to do normal average things that aren't particularly hard. We are short changing these children by acting as if they're not capable of of learning to the same level that we were capable of when we were their age. Have you noticed this is particularly a problem when talking about black issues in the United States. Have you noticed how many alleged advocates for black people or black children treat them as if they are incapable of learning or understanding anything that's not put to them in black or rap lingo? How they have to see their urban lifestyle in order to connect concepts. They got to be spoken to like they were in a rap video in order to get it. I don't think that's sensitive. I think it's condescending. Well, Eric Knox, founder of a nonprofit mentor program called HALA, H-O-L-L-A, you know, holla back, girl. He doesn't agree with me. So we'll put a picture up here of this story from KGW8 in Portland. Charter school for BIPOC students opening in Portland. BIPOC, black, indigenous, or people of color. How does that hit your ear? Hits my ear like broken glass. Let me give you a couple of quotes. <laughs> Where did I put this note here? Okay. First paragraph. And I want, you know what? I am going to set this up. When you're listening to me tell you this first paragraph, I want you to understand that this is the reporter writing here. This is the correspondent. This is not the PR person for HALA or for this charter school. This is an employee of KGW8. Okay. Quote. Portland has been labeled the whitest big city in America. That can make it difficult for some BIPOC kids to see themselves reflected in their communities and schools. That's why there's an effort to make a space specifically for BIPOC students where they feel seen, heard, and their experiences are reflected in curriculum. That's embarrassing. This It probably sounds normal to a lot of people now, but this isn't normal. It's been 17, no, it's been almost 20 years since I was a newspaper reporter, and I was only a reporter for three years, and things were getting bad then. But even 20 years ago, nobody in my newsroom would have done that. That is literally PR, flack shit, word for word. It's not a description, it's advocacy. She's all on board with this. Then we get into that. We get a quote from the, the founder here, Eric Knox. Quote It's very hard to learn when you don't see yourself in the curriculum. You don't see yourself as an in educational model. I'm sorry, grammar problems are Eric's, not mine, said Eric Knox, executive director and founder of HALA, a nonprofit in Portland that pairs youth of color with mentors of color. Charter school for BIPOC kids? Don't let me go past this without pointing that out. Going to segregate them? Just black kids, just indigenous, just of color kids? School just for the colored kids? Really? <laughs> and I'm the white supremacist. <laughs> Another quote. This guy probably means well. He really honestly does probably mean well, but he's extraordinarily misguided. We felt 
Like, if we were on a campus with our kids, doing life with them the way we do life with them through mentorship, we could get the academic outcomes. We know black and brown and indigenous kids will learn equally as well if they have a space that they see themselves in their history, their culture, and all of that is honored. (sighs) He can't even speak understandably and he's going to be the one teaching these kids don't don't this is basic grammatical incompetence it is and you know what no these children will learn equally well as any other children you mean white you're not saying it but that's what you mean if they are taught competently reading try Phonics. I was taught phonics. I was reading many grade levels uh, past kindergarten and first grade because my mother started me off reading at home and schools taught phonics. Teach math and arithmetic the old-fashioned way instead of new math and whole language where you're supposed to just memorize the words. This, These fads don't work. This is why that and the fact that so much of the school day time is taken up with woke programming political nonsense is why these children are, I mean, you look at schools, you look at their ratings, and you're getting things like maybe 30 to 40% of kids in a grade are actually at grade level in reading in supposedly good schools. (laughs) And here's the thing that really gets me more than anything. Another quote from Eric Knox. We'll focus on what's in your community. Like, it's a very strong entrepreneurial focus. There will be a very strong hip-hop focus around our kids' learning style. He said concepts from hip-hop would be utilized. Like, what does it mean to keep it real? What does it mean the grind? How to handle your haters? Hip-hop is what our kids understand. That's embarrassing. Hip-hop is what our kids understand. Really, they can't understand anything unless somebody coming at them like this, like this. Give me a fucking break. What are you going to say about white kids? They can't learn unless somebody's playing Stravinsky in the background or something else or the Beach Boys. I mean, I don't, what would you even say? This is stupid. Uh, uh, Time for a break. See you on the other side. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at DisaffectedP, that's disaffected and the letter P, for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at DisaffectedPod. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell, too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio, too. We have audio-only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Welcome back. We would love to have your support for the show. If you like what you hear, if you like what you see, I think we give you something that you don't get in quite the same way somewhere else. Love to have you go over to patreon.com slash disaffected or subscribestar.com slash disaffected and sign up to uh, give us some support. Every financial supporter gets invited to our donor-only private non-recorded Zoom hangouts where we talk about what you want to talk about. We just had one today this Sunday, and we have one every month. So thanks for your support. And I'm going to take a point of personal privilege here because I've had a song stuck in my head you now have to have the same song stuck in your head because I haven't been able to get rid of it for days. No, I don't want your number, no. I don't want to give you mine, and no. I don't want to meet you nowhere, no. Don't want none of your time because I don't want no scrubs. Thank you. We'll see if that gets rid of it for me and gives it to you. Ha! So I want to take this last segment and talk 
more about I'm looking at how many notes I have for you. <laughs> I'm going to talk more about the way our work life and our public life, our academic life and our social life has been modified over the years to fit a more feminine style of relating to other people. And actually, I'm going to tie this into the um, audio only podcast from yesterday or excuse me, two days ago on Friday. I talked in that one on Friday's episode about the confusion that I had as a kid that stayed with me into adult life about the difference between making friends with and relating to girls as compared to boys. As a kid who didn't have uh, any good male role models and, and who felt alienated from how to be a boy, how to be a man, um, it, I, it became clear to me that you know, as I grew up, and I still have some of this um, myself, there's a very different way that men have friendships with men and that women have friendships with women. There are different emotional styles. There are different linguistic styles. And um, if you find this kind of thing interesting, Friday's episode will probably be interesting to you as well. I'm taking this from an article on Substack by a man named Richard Hanania, or Hanania. I'm not sure which way it's pronounced. Um, this is a very long essay. I'm not, obviously, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you here. Uh, it's a really, it's not dense. It's just long. There's a lot of argumentation to it and a lot of really good examples. I'm just going to give you a taste of it, but I highly recommend you read the whole thing. It's titled Women's Tears Win in the Marketplace. And it talks about how the work world and public life has been rejiggered and tailored to women's emotional ways of relating and that there is a cost to that. I'll give you a quote. What is left to contribute on the question of how feminization relates to pathologies in our current political discourse? First, I think the ways in which public debate works when we take steps to make the most emotional and aggressive women comfortable have been overlooked. Things that we talk things that we talk about as involving quote young people, quote college students and quote liberals are often gendered issues. He's right. And those words are they're not actually they're not used honestly. When people write these things, they're not talking about young people, college students and liberals. They're talking about young women young women college students and young liberal women and predominantly although not exclusively affluent young liberal white women narcissistic wound collectors of color as well in there you know the people from you know this black community this immigrant community who make their social living and sometimes their actual monetary living uh, by convincing everybody that they've been wronged at every job they've ever been in and their family could never make any money and it was all because everybody hates people with brown skin. They get a lot of white women on their side for that shit. You can get a bunch of them to a protest. Quote, For all our talk of equality, our culture treats violence, incivility, and aggression toward women much more seriously than the same towards men. This creates a difficult dynamic in which if a man disagrees strongly with a woman, he has to tread very carefully if he is not to be judged harshly by observers. Yes, I see this very frequently. The same, the same exact words in the same tone of disagreement spoken in public to a woman as compared to spoken to a, uh, a man in public will often get you censure and immediate pushback. It is often treated as if it were not just a tone you didn't like, but it was abusive toward a woman. I see this on social media a lot. I have been told many times over the years on Facebook, okay? Facebook, which is a place where you write things. Nobody is speaking, they're writing. And the comments go one after another. So everyone's thoughts, everyone's type thoughts are visible. 
I have been accused many, many times by radical feminists of speaking over women on Facebook. You can't speak over anybody on Facebook. If you're talking right now and I go like this and I I get up here in the microphone and blah, 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 that's talking over you. I'm actually silencing you, hogging the microphone, which I can because it's mine. This is my show. (laughs) Um, But yeah, disagreement, talking over women, silencing women. Nobody would say that if you said the same thing to a man. They'd see it was immediately ridiculous, and it's just as ridiculous when a woman says it. I remember a couple of months ago when a follower on Twitter got very offended when I described, uh, I don't even remember who it was, but I described a woman as a bitch because she was a bitch. And this is what I got. I have a problem with anyone calling any woman a bitch. So what? Why? Here's why. People don't like to say this out loud, so I will. A great deal of modern feminist or women's liberation politics. Maybe it didn't start this way. I'm sure that for many, it was not the intention when it started, but this is what it just turned into. Is about allowing women to actually be bitches, but never, ever to be described as bitches. The sin is to say that's bitch behavior. The bitch behavior itself, girl boss, girl power, slay queen. It's a narcissistic ploy. It's close to a reversal. It's, it's, it's characterizing expected and ordinary disagreement and pushback as the sin rather than the thing that generated the disagreement and pushback. Cover the bad behavior over and make it seem like noticing and naming the bad behavior is the harm and the hurt and the offense. It's a narcissistic way of uh, screwing with people's minds and um, controlling the conversation. Back to Richard Hanania's Hanania's article. I should really do a better job of that. I should give myself a pronunciation guide. I will I will do the work and I will do better. <laughs> Quote, a man can't just yell in another man's face for five or ten minutes about how he's hurting his feelings. If a man does behave this way, bystanders are more likely to feel disgusted than to join in and play the role of a white knight. The man at the receiving end of the abuse is at some point going to have to escalate toward violence or back down and say something about how this is beneath him. Depending on the situation, observers may assume violence is a distinct possibility and get between the two sides. Continuing, none of these options are available when getting yelled at by a woman. You certainly can't make an implicit threat of violence. Raising your voice will turn everyone against you, and even walking away can look heartless. He's right. There is an asymmetry. And I talked about this last week, and I gave you an example. There are some women out there who are fully conscious of this asymmetry, and they work it. They use it. They know that there is an unspoken agreement between women and men. And that unspoken agreement is men are more violent and they are capable of doing more physical damage. Men tend to jump to violence and physical aggression more quickly. Women, being the smaller and weaker sex physically, can't do that. So they use other techniques of persuasion, right? Rhetorical, you know, manipulation. Manipulation isn't necessarily a bad thing. We all manipulate. But these are, these are the things that you generally expect evolution to give to a species where there is a, di, uh, a dimorphous. Dimorphous? Is that even a word? Di? Yes, that is a word, but I'm using it incorrectly. Where there is a split between the sexes and one is physically stronger than the other. Um, but we saw it last week in that clip of the young man in the elevator 
the young black man in the elevator with the two elderly white women wearing masks who were trying to push him out of the elevator. I think I said he was trying to get on. And a lot of you jumped in and said, I think he was already in the elevator first. And I think you're right. Um, these women, they, they knew that social contract and they deliberately broke it because they knew they could get away with it. They took narcissistic advantage. They screamed at him. They tried to tell him to get out of the elevator when they had no right to do so. I think they were angry at him because he didn't have a mask on. And then they started getting physically aggressive. They pushed him. They stuck their cameras and their phones in his face. One of them actually hit him. She struck him. And you can hear him on the video saying, what, did you just hit me? He's flabbergasted. And you can hear in his voice that he's working out what can he do here too. Obviously, these two elderly women are not really a physical danger to him. That's not the point. It's not like I thought that those women were going to kill him. It's not about that. It's about how freaking dare you. And then they started screaming, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, like it was some magical incantation to, you know, to get them out of jail for mistreating this guy. Absolutely bizarre behavior. It's a really good example of what Richard Hanani is talking about. He says this also, of course, most women do not cry over hurt feelings or scream in men's faces when they're angry. Rather, it's the loudest minority. Being able to indulge their passions in ways that men cannot, that drive most of the censorship we see. How many women were behind the Yale Halloween costume controversy that became the center of American public intellectual life? Like 10? Imagine at least one crying woman in every boardroom, newsroom, faculty meeting, and government office, and you can understand the decentralized force that has led us to this point. And I think he's right. This is not most women. When you describe this behavior correctly as female typical, that doesn't mean it is typical of most women most of the time. It is that you find the behavior more frequently in a population of women. Not all women will behave this way, and certainly they won't, the majority of them won't behave this way extremely most of the time. Same with, with male typical behaviors, violence and aggression. But pointing out that this loud minority of women exists and that they're in charge, that itself provokes accusations of misogyny. It really does. And think about that a little more deeply. Can you remember the last time you heard an accusation of sexism with that word specifically? When was the last time you heard someone accused of being a sexist? For me, it's been a couple of years. Maybe more than a couple, two, three, four, five. Every criticism I've seen that used to be called an example of sexist behavior is now called misogynist. Notice the emotional inflation. Sexism is treating people differently based on their sex in an arbitrary way that doesn't make sense. That's how most of us understand that. Misogyny means actual hatred of women. And there is a connotation of violence or even killing that lurks around the orbit of that word right? That is deliberate too. Inflate, inflate, inflate. Hystericize. Yeah, I said hysterical and I mean it. Even allegations of men getting handsy with women inappropriately in the office are often called misogyny. Not sexual harassment by itself, but misogyny. I'm not defending men putting their hands on women in the office. I shouldn't have to say this. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it reminds me of, of the strange feminist rejiggering of what violence actually is and what mistreatment actually is and, and the inability to distinguish these things on a spectrum of severity. And it's so strange. Be, why? Okay, so say you've got a guy in an office who's putting his hand on, uh, on a woman's hip or going further, putting it on her ass or even feeling her breast. That's sexual harassment. Might, you know, might be called assault. But misogyny? He hates women so much that he loves to touch their breasts. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's a part of the widely accepted idea by a lot of feminists and a lot of women these days who wouldn't necessarily 
first describe themselves as feminists, that rape is not about sex. Rape is about power, they say. It's as if there's no sexual element and rapes that occur are motivated entirely, 100%, by the desire to hurt women with no sexual or erotic component mixed in at all. So of all the ways that a rapist could hurt a woman, he just arbitrarily chose to do that by forcible sexual penetration. Was it a coin toss? He was like, okay, heads, I'll beat her. Tails, I'll rape her. I don't really care which because I just want to exercise power. So whichever one the coin tells me is what I'll do. No, that doesn't make sense. Rape is sadistic. And sadism is about exercising power. But here's the part people don't like to get to. For these people, and to a lesser degree, for a lot of humans, power itself is eroticized. There is a sexual frisson in power. That doesn't have to be unhealthy, but you can see when the severity goes up the spectrum, you can see why it ends up where it ends up in violent rapes. There is a heavy erotic element for this type of people in being able to force someone to accept sex from them. The guy who drugged me and raped me when I was 17 years old wasn't just doing it to exercise power. That was part of why he did it. He was doing it to get off, too. He wanted to be able to drug a 17-year-old kid and fuck him up the ass. He wanted to get his rocks off by doing that. He didn't want to get his rocks off by drugging me and beating me up or writing obscene things on my body. He specifically chose a sexual way of doing it. Sex and power and domination and eroticism are bound up with each other. They're not separate. So, going back to our essay here, Richard Hanania describes a couple of options, a couple of ways that we could look at this. What do we do with this situation? How do we change it? What do we change it into? He says, we can expect everyone who participates in the marketplace of ideas to abide by male standards, meaning you accept some level of abrasiveness and hurt feelings as the price of entry. Or we can expect everyone to abide by female standards, meaning we care less about truth and prioritize the emotional and mental well-being of participants in the debates. Can you tell me, can you say honestly and sincerely that you don't believe that we are now living in a society where we have elevated people's feelings and their expressions about their feelings over the actual facts of the situation? Can you honestly and sincerely say we have not feminized our public life, that somebody being upset about something isn't a deal breaker that can stop a company from making a product, because yes, it is. And it didn't used to be this way, ever. Can you really tell me seriously that toxic masculinity controls the classroom, the public school classroom, the HR department, government offices, I don't see how you can. But Richard offers something else. Instead of either of these options, I think, well, no, this isn't what he offers. This is what he thinks we've done. I think we've stumbled on a hybrid system where we accept gender double standards and tolerate more aggression toward men than we do toward women. We also tolerate more hyper-emotionalism from women than men. This option is actually worse because it also introduces double standards we see everywhere in our culture. So what does he suggest? Quote, I have no doubt that public discourse as a male space works better. That doesn't mean women are barred from voting or discussing politics. They can participate in the public arena, but as soon as they start crying over a Halloween costume or talking about, quote, online abuse, most people should roll their eyes and understand that someone without the emotional stability to even participate in the marketplace of ideas isn't going to have the traits necessary to contribute much to it. I can't argue with him. And again, 
I'll say it, and I'll remind you that Richard said it. He did not say that most women act like this. He said the loud minority are, and he's right. But it has changed the mores in our public life so that more women are acting this way. And almost all men say nothing about it because they're terrified of being accused of misogyny. Anyway, it's a much longer essay than I can share with you. I really do suggest that you read it. Um, and of course, obviously, if you're watching this on YouTube, there's a whole comment section. Uh, agree, disagree, would love to hear your feedback about this. And I'm, I'm going to leave you with one picture that a friend sent to me on social media that I think is a sign of our time. So put it up on the screen here. This is a picture of a building site in the city of Chicago. And the caption my friend put under it, the first gay bar in Boys Town removed for this. Just thought you would find it amusing, the affirming part. What a shame. What he's talking about, this is a picture of a building site that has a concrete jersey barrier in front of it and a banner on the side of, of the jersey barrier that says, coming soon, a new site for affirming healthcare. What is affirming healthcare? This is going to be a gender clinic where you get your dick chopped off or you get your tits chopped off and you get uh, poisoned with cross-sex hormones so that you can be affirmed in your new gender. Going on the site of a building torn down that had the first gay bar in the famous Boys Town section of Chicago. That's the show. See you next week. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell, too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio, too. We have audio-only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Twitter didn't like our old account, so we made a new one. Follow at DisaffectedP, that's Disaffected and the letter P, for show announcements and links. If you want our sass and snark, come see us on Getter at Disaffected Pod.